Hello and welcome. You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism. Episode 3. Okay, okay. So, I believe you went first last time, so I will go first this time. Alright, uh, before you go first, I just want to have an update. Uh, oh. Last last um, episode, I talked about MoviePass. The news came out this past week that MoviePass has officially shut down. Uh, finally. <laughs> but, if you go to their website... I'm just going to show you. Okay. It says in big, bold letters, big changes are coming. <laughs> That's about all it says. <laughs> we are temporarily not accepting new subscribers as we work on these improvements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, just want everyone to know that big changes are coming to MoviePass, <laughs> and it's going to be back and better than ever I'm, before you know it. Uh, at this point, it's like, it's only uphill from here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> MoviePass can only get better. Yeah, <laughs> it's literally gone from, like... The top to the very bottom. Right. <laughs> I guess I like any it. progress is a lot of progress. I like how it says, we're working on improvements as if there's like anyone still hired. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> your company went bankrupt. There's yeah. no one left. <laughs> well, oh, more God. power to them. All right. So what are you going to be talking about today? All right. So today I have uh, today I have the Cheesecake Factory. Oh, Ameri- wonderful. America's number one restaurant. Wow. As For 100,000 years. 100,000 years, yes. Undisputed. <laughs> Heavyweight champ of food. Yeah. All right, all right. So, uh... Da-da-da. The Cheesecake Factory is an American restaurant company and distributor of cheesecakes. <laughs> based in the United States. I would get that from the name. Yeah. Okay, the company operates 210 full-service restaurants, 194 under the Cheesecake Factory brand, 14 under the Grand Lux Cafe brand, and two under the Rock Sugar Pan-Asian Fusion Kitchen brand. Oh, jeez, that's yeah. a lot of words. Rock Sugar Pan-Asian Fusion Rock Kitchen. Rock Sugar Pan-Asian Fusion Kitchen. There, there are two of those. I believe there's one here in L.A. and there's one in Dubai. Oh, of course. Yeah. Let's see. The Cheesecake Factory also operates two bakery production facilities, one in Calabasas, California, and another in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and licenses uh, two bakery-based menus for other food service operations under the Cheesecake Factory Cafe Mark. Its cheesecakes are often baked... Its cheesecakes and other baked goods can often be found in cafes like uh, the Barnes & Noble Cafe. Oh, yes. So a lot I often of, see those. So a lot of times when you go to, like... When you go to little, like... St- store brand cafes like Mm -hmm. that all of the baked goods are from cheesecake factory right okay like when i worked at starbucks like we don't obviously we don't have like a bakery oven or a pastry like a pastry production facility there like everything is made at these large giant bakery facilities and then they're flash frozen and then shipped to the location and then we just sort of thaw them out and put them in a blast furnace right that makes sense like uh those those like big regional facilities a lot of those in the U.S. are are operated by the Cheesecake Factory. Wow. Yeah. So let's let's go to now. Cheesecake Factory has some surprisingly humble origins. Huh. In 1987, in 1978, sorry, Evelyn Overton's son David opened a small salad and sandwich restaurant in Beverly Hills that sold ten varieties of cheesecake on a one-page menu. Hmm. In 1983, he opened a second restaurant in Marina del Rey. In 1987, the Beverly Hills location had expanded into a 78-seat restaurant that was experiencing great financial success. This led to the opening of a third, larger location in Redondo Beach. 
which was eventually renovated to a 300-seat, 21,000-square-foot location. That's the Cheesecake Factory I'm familiar with. Yes, yes. that is Much closer to the Cheesecake Factories that we are familiar with today. Yep. By the end of the 1980s, the Cheesecake Factory's one-page menu had expanded, and the restaurant offered additional fast food and short-order items. Five years later, in 1992, the company went public. As of April of 2013, the Cheesecake Factory operated 162 restaurants under the Cheesecake Factory name in all 36 states. Wow. Because basically, the um, I read a lot over the course of this about the, the founder, David Overton, mm-hmm. who seems like he's simple-minded in a very complimentary way. He's like simple, right. He's simple-minded in... Not like I'm calling him stupid. He's just a very focused, one-track mind sort of guy. Right. Like, the reason he founded this was because his mom enjoyed making cheesecakes. Right. And needed a place to sell them. Yeah. And so they made a bakery. And so he started basically running the lunch counter at the bakery. Yeah. And had basically no skill at cooking. made He made sandwiches and burgers. Yeah. But he got so much practice that he eventually got a knack for cooking. Right. And every time you in, every time you interview you interview this guy, it's always like, well, I I just started cooking and kept cooking, and now I'm here. It's like, and then this empire assembled around me. Pretty much, that's <laughs> it's from what I can tell. Uh, David Overton did not. I mean, he actually he actually dropped out of school for being a lawyer. Hmm. Um, he's not. He's not like Ray Kroc. He's not one of these, like, business moguls. He's really just somebody that was in the right place at the right time, and people just started throwing money at him. Like a Forrest Gump type. It it sort of seems like that. I mean, he definitely, like, he made competent decisions. Right. Right. Like a, a smarter Forrest Gump. Yes. Well, and his other thing is, like, he... We'll read about it later, is that he just made constant... He tried shit out constantly. Yeah. He was constantly improving on right. like his menus and his process and his restaurants. Yeah, which is an extremely it's which is extremely confusing for the consumer, but a very good way to find an effective business model. Right, for sure. So this brings us to the menu, which is one of the most famous parts of the restaurant. Yeah. obviously. In the Wikipedia page under the subsection titled Menu, it says this article needs expansion, which is wrong. (laughs) Uh, The the Cheesecake Factory menu, as of this year, has 21 pages and over 250 items, which the website says are made from scratch every day, which is true and insane. crazy. (laughs) Holy crap. No, I, I don't think I talked about it. I don't think I put it in the outline, but... So, I read an article about how he manages the the structure of the restaurants mm-hmm. right so he has two cheesecake factories are separated into two completely different management structures there's a front end team that manages all of the uh all the wait all the wait staff yeah and there's an entirely separate structure just for the chefs like right. just for cooking and managing huh. that it's he's basically running two entire a cheesecake factory is two entire companies in one building right Gosh, I would love to see like a cheesecake factory kitchen. That must be insane. It's from what I can from what I can tell, everything just starts with raw ingredients and then they work like everything starts from raw ingredients and they they have like an entire line of prep chefs mm-hmm. that sort of refine everything as needed. Right. They have to be like one chef per page of the menu. <laughs> it I I I was not able to 
get much more information about that. Yeah. But it's it, they would have to be right. right. And one like one person couldn't memorize that whole menu. Well, actually, that's. I mean, that's part of it. Is like they they spend. A t- they spend almost twice as much time training their kitchen and waitstaff mm. because the menu is so big. Right, you have to. Like, most places will train you for maybe two, three weeks, but they, mm-hmm. uh, a Cheesecake Factory will spend time training you for uh, four to four to six weeks. Wow. Which is yeah. a lot of time to be paying someone for training. Right. So this next bit is from a, a Thrillist article by Will Fulton. It's from an interview. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, this is Overton talking about the menu. I decided we're done, he said. <laughs> <laughs> the menu will stay capped at 250 items. <laughs> we will certainly continue to add new dishes to the menu, but we're going to start taking things off, too. Oh, the geez. menu's big enough as it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, when asked about, like, so what, so what is your business? Says, I'm not sure you can define what we do, Overton said. We work incredibly hard, and we try to give people what they want and what they love. We have something for everyone. And I think that's why we've been so successful. <laughs> Which, this quote to me characterizes David Overton because yeah. it is it is both something that is, like, idiotically simple, but describes very well the success right. of his business. For like, sure. you know, I'm not sure what we... what I'm not sure if you can define what we do. It's yeah. like, you run a restaurant, David. Yeah. <laughs> right. You sell food, David. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, we just... But then he goes into, we work very hard and we try to give people what they want and love. We have something for everyone, which, yep, like, yeah, you have something for good. everyone. Yeah. No one can say, like, oh, there's nothing I like here. It's like, no, we'll, we'll like, find something you like. like that, that is wrong. There Every is... type of food you can think of is on that menu. Well, and th- one, of the, one of the biggest things about Cheesecake Factory that consumers say mm-hmm. is, like, so because the chefs are capable of making so many things if it's not on the menu you could probably just ask for it right yeah right you can say like put gravy like put gravy on the chicken yeah you know i want a corn dog but then uh put mustard sauce on it right like they're used to doing an insane amount of combinations and possibilities right well and they have they're equipped to do all of it yeah right very quickly without taking too much time out of other orders yeah so even if it's not on the menu you can get it at a cheesecake factory yeah Sorry. So this is from a uh, uh, the Nation Restaurant Review, uh, which has a very fancy website. Uh, this is from an interview with David Overton by Ross Ruglis. Uh, despite a slight half percent decline in same store sales in the second quarter that ended in July fourth, the Cheesecake Factory has posted forty five quarters of positive sales with its tome sized menu. <laughs> a corporate culture featured in Forbes twenty seventeen a hundred best companies to work for, and of course the family recipe cheesecakes. The company has forty thousand employees system wide, which is a lot. Like especially for the. Especially because of the fact that it only has about 250 stores yeah. worldwide. That's a lot of employees for that few right. locations. Yeah. Right. To this day, Overton says that his favorite food is the factory's fresh strawberry cheesecake, which uses his mom's recipe at its base. Oh. It's... it's you lose a little bit of the sparkle because they're not they're not made on site anymore. They're made oh. at, they're made at the bakery facilities and then frozen and shipped to the individual cheesecake factories. Right. So it's it's not quite bakery fresh. Yeah. 
But they're still using the recipe. Yeah, yeah. It's got that personal touch in the, amidst the tome menu. Tome-sized, <laughs> quote, tome-sized menu. This palace designed to prepare any type of food imaginable. <laughs> the Cheesecake Palace. Yeah. So, the best-selling Cheesecake Factory menu item, in, including all international units, is... Okay, just give me a guess. What do you think the best-selling food item at Cheesecake Factory is? Is it a food item or a dessert item? It's a food item. Hmm. A cheeseburger? Whatever you're thinking, it's wrong because it's the avocado egg rolls. <laughs> <laughs> Those egg rolls are good, though. Are I they? went there, yeah, I went there recently because my mom had a gift card and we just went there and I got the avocado egg rolls. They were really good. Damn. Well, goddamn. So, I mean, I, most people agree with you. Yeah, like, I mean, how is that the like? I feel like not many people know about them. Like, I just like stumbled. I, I guess right. they're like the world right, famous. Out of 250 items, yeah. that's what you picked. And you're like, goddamn. Yeah. Like, you just sort of rolled the best item there. I guess. <laughs> if you had like a giant like star next to it, like our best selling item, <laughs> right. buy this. And it just like, subconsciously like influenced me to get it. Maybe. I mean, there there is there is some psychological research to back that up. Interesting. We'll talk about that later. All right. Uh, so the uh, the second the the number two item is the uh, burr, burr, burr. the the number two item is a chicken dish that I can't pronounce. It's like <laughs> chicken made madiara madaria. Oh yeah. I, I don't know. I'm white. <laughs> um, and then number three is the fresh strawberry cheesecake. Oh, not quite number one, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're you're getting beat out by those avocado egg rolls. Yeah. So you better step it up, avocado egg roll Guess factory. Mrs. Overton's recipe wasn't that good. <laughs> Her recipe for avocado egg rolls, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's more addictive than crack. <laughs> That's how they do it. They put literal crack in it. Yeah, stuff's good. All right. So to quote Overton, we've changed the menu twice a year, every year for forty years. Jeez. Yeah. That's crazy. That's what keeps people interested, and it keeps us current. We don't rely on our lawyers. On our lawyers. On our laurels. There's nothing that America wants to eat that... There's nothing that America wants to eat that can't go on the Cheesecake Factory menu. And I think we've improved it. Again, some of that classic David Overton, like, some of this stuff is stupid, and some of it is right on there. Well, I mean, like... Even if they didn't change the menu, I feel like I would think the menu's been changed every time I look at it. Like, I would find new things. I'm not, I'm not like, mentally keeping track of it, you know? Yeah. It's like, if it did change, I wouldn't notice. Yeah, I go to the Cheesecake Factory maybe once every two years. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not going to be like, oh, nice, like, nice of them to change up the menu. Right. Like, I was getting tired of the other 250 choices. Right. It's like, oh, You don't have time. Finally, there's options. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like... You know, there's nothing America wants to eat that can't go on the menu. It's like, yeah, that's... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I like that because it implies that it includes, like, bricks or something. Yeah. <laughs> like... right. You want rubber bands and bananas? <laughs> we got it! We can put it on. Sure. <laughs> but then there's also the quote is like, this is what keeps us current. This is what keeps people interested. It's like, I don't know if you guys are current. Like, yeah, right. the Cheesecake Factory isn't exactly isn't exactly hip. Yeah, you know? it's more just like there's so many options. It's just like, is it still uh, recording? Oh, make sure we're not losing. Be. Yeah, cool. we're still good. All right. All right. Um, so then this. So now we enter the. Um, so, the Cheesecake Factory is sort of emblematic of that sort of. Like, nice, like sit down restaurant, like yeah. 
like oh it's it's nice but it's not super nice you know right it's, it's like, like you go there when you go out but not but not like for a, a date or something right you know yeah it's like where you go with your family for like a birthday or yeah something. yeah yeah so as i'm sure a lot of us know that sort of restaurant has been having a lot of trouble yeah. especially especially because of the downturn and everything right so since the recession of 2008, Overton said that casual dining is struggling even with high employment numbers and a strong stock market. Yeah. We're trying to figure out what's happening out there. Right now we're really trying to understand the forces at play economically, he said, adding, adding that he regrets not acting faster during the 2008 downturn and its effect on sales, which like, huh, yeah, I wonder what's happening. Yeah. Like, gosh, <laughs> could it be the fact that none of us have any goddamn money? Yeah, right. I think the failure is that I thought it would it still wouldn't have affected us so much, he said, in answering a question about what he considers a failure. I think I waited too long to take action. I thought it would come back, and it didn't. And once I, once I took the action, I started to do the right things, and it came back. That was a very trying time. I would say it because it w I was too complacent with our previous successes. I learned my lesson, trust me, Overton added. I, wouldn't, I don't wait any longer. Which, it's like... All right, so it's like you're taking responsibility and not blaming like consumers or your workers or anything. Yeah, that's excellent. But it's like I learned my lesson. I don't wait any longer. It's like wait to do what? Yeah, that exactly. sounds vaguely ominous. Yeah, I don't wait any longer. I don't wait any longer. <laughs> it's like taking like the knife out of his pocket, right. sort of looking at it as if it's conjuring memories. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to make some changes. Right here. <laughs> That's the that's the thing. He then, like, he doesn't talk about what those changes were yeah. or what he did or how it affected him. Right. Because I, I don't think Cheesecake Factory actually changed much. Yeah. Because because I don't think they actually had to. Yeah. I think they stayed solvent because above anything, what Cheesecake Factory is emblematic of is shotgun marketing. Right. It's like, if you can provide to everyone, if you can enter every market niche, you don't really have to worry about overall sales. It's like, yeah. if the economy tanks, then it means that all of your competitors are tanking too. Right. Right. And yeah. so, the, when it does tank, whoever is selling to the most people, that person comes out on top. Right. And that's the Cheesecake Factory. Right. Right. So this is from a Jezebel article by Haley Sills. Uh, this is about the this is about specifically the interior design. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have these French limestone floors. Then we throw in some Egyptian columns, Victorian bed, beadboard wood paneling, a really eclectic mix, which most people wouldn't be brave enough to try. But fortunately, the way we assembled them, it worked pretty well. Overton says you can't knock their success. We used to say if you build it, they will come, but. Time after time, we'd open in a new city, and from the first day on, people would be lining up. Huh. So, Overton said that he wanted to appeal to the palate of the common man oh, with the Cheesecake Factory's food. McCormick, the designer of the restaurants, says that when it came to designing the spaces, they never wanted to do anything too trendy that would need to be replaced in a few years. Yeah, it feels kind of timeless and like a pulling from all these eras and like uh, these like regions completely disparate design philosophies yeah, it's just like, like 
it's it's like almost like from the future almost it's just like a weird timeless like zone it, it feels like have you ever seen that futurama episode where there's like historical interactors historical reenactors that are like they're like mixing a bunch of things together they yeah. don't like like these are not from the same period right yeah, yeah. It, it feels like that like cheesecake factory was designed by someone from the future who's yeah. like this is what the 20th century <laughs> right. looks like yeah just like a greatest hits kind of like <laughs> all these, yeah. this is why the restaurant's opulent aesthetic feels special in a time of dying malls and constant rebranding for fast food and chain restaurants places like mcdonald's kfc and taco bell are rebranding to look less like plastic toys and more like sleek modern cafes mm. There's something a little horrifying about TGI Fridays ditching the cluttered walls in favor of some bland Kinfolk magazine-approved design. <laughs> Thankfully, whenever you step into Cheesecake Factory, you'll know it'll always be tacky. <laughs> and wow. that, to me, perfectly summarizes everything yeah. that is important and everything that makes the Cheesecake Factory successful. <laughs> is like, you, it is an honest company. Yeah. They're not they're not trying to pretend that they're fine dining. They right. are the cheesecake factory. Right. They're not trying to trick you. They're just doing the stuff they do well. Right. They're not it's trying like, to like be like all the, this like high end. They're just like, "We'll make you food. We'll make you a ton of food. It'll be pretty good. Like whatever you want, we'll make it." Fuck it. We'll give it to you yeah. and you'll like it. <laughs> and you'll get a seat. It's such a big restaurant. You'll get a seat in 15 minutes or less. Right. Like, you know what you're going to get. What do you want? You want sushi? We got sushi. You sure. want tacos? We got tacos. Hell, we'll put sushi in a taco. Whatever. We're fucking crazy. <laughs> you Who want cares? a fondue pot full of gravy? Sure. I don't care. <laughs> Dip your sushi in it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't judge. <laughs> you know why you're here, and we know why you're here, too. <laughs> <laughs> the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> <laughs> we know why you're here. Yeah, I've never seen like an advertisement for the Cheesecake Factory. Exactly. They do not have to advertise. Right, right. but it's always been like a thing where it's never like, oh, I'm tired of the cheese. It's just like, oh, it's been like a year. Let's go to the Cheesecake. That sounds fine. Right. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I'll get a good meal. Like, it won't be like, it won't blow my mind, but it'll be satisfying. Right. There right. Was a It'll be, egg rolls are it'll be good. exactly what I want. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. I'll be able to find exactly what I want. Yeah, totally. And you'll get a ton of food. Exactly. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is like, so, um, so like the Nation Restaurant Review rated it as like it's, uh, it's the America's Consumer Choice number one restaurant, and it's in the Forbes top one hundred places to work. But mm -hmm. uh, Men's Health Magazine rated it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the the worst ten places to eat in America. <laughs> well, there's trade offs. <laughs> the people there love it, but <laughs> they're not making healthy food. Oh, yeah, that. So okay, that uh, that chicken dish. Mm -hmm. uh, it has it has over three thousand calories oh, in yeah. it. And they put the calories on the menu. I think. Well, maybe I think they used to, but I think they might have stopped doing it because like one slice of cheesecake has like the like the minimum is like fifteen hundred calories. Right. No, there it's fucking massive yeah it's crazy well it's like very rich food very huge portions and like they like usually get appetizers too so you're like eating like to be modest you're eating like 2,000 calories if you're eating there easily yeah like, even easily. If, you're not, if you're getting cheesecake it could end up being more than that right right and that's like 2,000 calories easily without dessert yeah and dessert would double that right if you got one of the like opulent uh <laughs> cheesecake options right the, the opulent ones. <laughs> With gold leaf. And... Right, the digestible gold. Yeah. But that's like, that's something you would never see at a Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. They're not going to pretend to be like... Right, it would be more just like a ton of different dessert 
items like rolled into a cheesecake. <laughs> right. It'd be like it'd be like Denny's with the grand slam. Yeah, just, just like all the cheesecakes put together. Right. Here's everything rolled into a burrito. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. But so okay, over the course of all of this, I I originally wanted to start. I originally wanted to use the Cheesecake Factory as an example of the anxiety of choice. Right. right. Like, oh, there's so much stuff on the menu, it it causes you enough temporary anxiety to possibly cause you to pick a, uh, a choice on the menu that may not be profitable for you. Yeah. Right? You're going to pick something more expensive than you otherwise normally would. Right. But the interesting thing is, is as I was... As I was doing research into it, I wanted to talk about some of the psychological underpinnings yeah. about the anxiety of choice, but turns out there's, like, ample evidence to counter it as well. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not really... It's more of, like, describing something that can happen and not describing something that you can, like, rely on for marketing purposes. Right. Because sometimes sometimes the it can have the exact opposite effect. Right? There's so much stuff on the menu, you just pick something, like, it scares you into thinking that you might, like, choose wrong, and you pick something very basic and familiar, so that you're yeah. like, oh, I don't want to try the strawberry coffee or whatever. Yeah. And so it actually, like, it actually seems to psychologically balance out. Right. But what, what became more interesting to me was the sort of character of... The character of the restaurant and how it's run as a business, yeah. which is extremely straightforward. Like, yeah. there's no, there's no tricks here. It's yeah. not. Well, it's almost like the exact opposite of like every other like uh, food service business, where like even like really successful ones like McDonald's, they're always trying to just like pull the rug out from under you to try these like crazy marketing tactics. Like, oh, we're healthy now. We're changing everything. We're changing our design, but Cheesecake right. Factory's like, we don't We've got robots to. now, or yeah. whatever, like... Right. And then it's like, and then underneath all of that, there's also the, like, they own all of the real estate that the restaurants are built off of, yeah. and so they're making double that way, and they're also, like, like, w one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest sources of wage theft in America. Yeah. Like, they're, there's all this, like, hidden shit to their profitability, but with right. Cheesecake Factory? Nope. Yeah, we have a lot of food and you'll buy it. Right. We hire a lot of people. Yeah. And then we sell a lot of food. Yeah. It's you we're trying, like our food's expensive like it's 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 the price is high but you're getting a ton of food. So it's not really like it's a, still a good deal for you. Right. Well, and it's there there will always be something here for you. Yeah. Right? It's it's like you can get a salad. Right. You know, you can get you can get cocktails or whatever. It's it one of the things I ran across in this was, like, so the sort of death of sit-in dining, mm. right? Like, how restaurants like Red Robin and Ruby's are dying so much. Right. It's like, so why is Cheesecake Factory surviving when those places aren't? Yeah. Well, it's because places like Red Robin and Ruby's, they've got a theme. They've got specializations. It's right. like, we do burgers and beer, or we do, like, 1950s food with the fancy decor or whatever. Yeah. And it's... Like, if you've been to a Ruby's recently, like, they've jacked up their prices and everything. Yeah, it's and all, it's, they're always empty. Right, they're always empty. It's only, like, old people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> last time I went to Ruby's, 
there was like some sort of like weird like alt-right political meeting going on Ugh. in one of the booths it's like that's what rubies has become it's like you can go like discuss your politics because no one's there right and like right you can you can barely justify it with the like 1950s nostalgia yeah. or whatever like remember back when black people couldn't get married to yeah. white people right like, but it's like yeah, there's no one there. There's, you can go have your weird, like, subversive meetings there. Right, exactly. And it's like, I've, I went to a Red Robin, like, a month ago or mm-hmm. something because I had nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And it's like I got some French onion soup, and it was, like, it was pretty good. Yeah. It was very expensive. Yeah. Or it wasn't very expensive. It was just, like, expensive enough that I wouldn't want to eat there again. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, it's like, this is, like, not crazy, but, like, I don't want to pay... $14 for a burger. Right. <laughs> that's right. like a, just a little, like $11 is like, that's fine. Like, it's like slightly just too, like over that edge. Right, right. It's like, this is just a little bit too much. Yeah, like I'm not going to come back. And I think that's probably hurting them more. Well, Red Robin was, Red Robin was interesting actually because they're, they're branding themselves as a sort of like family sports bar where you can bring your kids. Mm. Like, they don't have like they don't have a waiter come by at the beginning. They every table has like an iPad on it. Then that's oh, where you yeah. can place your order and everything. And it's got like it's got like bar trivia games and like kid, like games to distract children with. And it's like right. oh that's pretty neat. I can see this as being like I can see this as being like a fun place to take your young kids on a birthday. Yeah. If you want to watch the big game or whatever, right. or if you've got your you know, it's you're taking the kids out to eat after soccer practice or whatever. Right. It's like, totally. oh, that's kind of cool. No, it's just not. I'm not in the demo, and yeah. that's why they're dying. Right. It's because I'm not in the demo with Cheesecake Factory. I'm always in the demo. <laughs> Everyone's in the demo. Mm-hmm. Old people, babies, <laughs> racists, <laughs> li- racists. <laughs> Are you racist? Come on down to Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Pirates. <laughs> Pirates. Confederate soldiers. Aliens. <laughs> French people. Come on uh-huh. down to the Cheesecake Factory. That should be the Cheesecake Like, if they ever make a commercial, it's like, everyone is welcome. And all these, like, insane, like, right. just, like, bears. Every demographic. CGI flamingos. Right. Men who collect pots. Yeah. Elvis impersonators. Yeah. You're all welcome at Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> yes, bring everyone in. <laughs> I, it's hilarious to think of that because David Overton is such a, like, he's such a meek-looking person. <laughs> yeah. he, he looks like a gnome. <laughs> he's got He's got this very, like, sort of pointy, but... He's got this very pointy face with little chubby cheeks, and he's got like, he's got like a sort of tuft of white hair that like swoops backwards, <laughs> and then he wears those like big, like big wire rim spectacles, and he has this very like hello <laughs> sort of demeanor. <laughs> That's really funny. So it's funny to think of him as like, <laughs> come my children, come, on, come all, <laughs> come to the cheesecake factory, the Statue of Liberty of the. Uh... <laughs> food service industry and it's just sort of him like sort of holding his like clasping his hands together yeah. like hello friends <laughs> we shan't turn you down there's a, on the wikipedia article there's a picture of him opening so there's a cheesecake factory in the in the the mall of dubai uh-huh. you know the the big fancy one yeah 
And so there's a there's a picture of David Overton holding like this little pair of scissors, and on either side he's flanked by like Sikh like Sikh oil barons with swords <laughs> <laughs> that all look like. Some of them are smiling, but others, <laughs> other ones of them look very serious. And he has this very, like, pleasant look yeah. on his face. It's just, like, breaking down cultural barriers. This, like, meek little gnome guy. He's like, oh, sure. You yeah. want to like, eat my burritos? And, and Yeah, uh, come on in. I'm sure we've got some food for whatever your culture is. Sure, we'll make that. We'll learn your what foods you guys like and add that to the menu. This is fun. I'm having fun. <laughs> oh, don't mind me. Oh, and yeah. like that very much translates to the success of Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. It's like they're not it is the most inoffensive restaurant possible. Right. You can yeah, you don't even need to explain it. It's just like you go there once you you get what they're about. Right. It's like you got it. Yeah. You're never going to be like disappointed going to a Cheesecake Factory. Exactly. Like I've gone to like Red Robin, Robin or Ruby's and had just kind of like okay kind of shitty experiences. Right. Like every time I go to the Cheesecake Factory, I'm not like Wow, that was great, but I'm not like, that sucked. I was like, yeah, pretty good. Right, it's just like, that was all right. Like, I'd go back in a year. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's like, and the only reason I'd go back in a year is because it's expensive. Yeah, totally. But, like, all, everything is expensive now. Right, totally. It's not like, I'm going to go right back. It's like, yeah, sure, if someone, I'm never going to turn down an invitation to a cheesecake factory. And I feel like that's the number one place I get, like, gift cards for like on christmas like i'll get like a 25 dollars cheesecake it is the safest gift yeah. card buy. well it's like getting a target gift card right but it's like a little bit more like specific like oh you can go like take your girlfriend out for a date right it's like right you're gonna have a pretty okay time you have a pretty okay you're gonna have an all right time you're not gonna have a bad time like you know that for sure it's like you're guaranteed a base six out of ten yeah exactly <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe some days it'll be an eight out of ten right maybe like, when you like, get those avocado egg rolls yeah, with a crack in them right it's never gonna be a full 10 or a, not even a nine right right it's like you'll get like an eight and a half at best yeah and that's like really rare right like you'll never get below a six right but like a seven on average that's more than most restaurants can totally. say yeah but it's never gonna get below six yeah and that's the cheesecake factory <laughs> cheesecake factory you'll never it'll never be worse than a six out of ten <laughs> yeah <laughs> it'll, well, I, it'll be higher than It'll be higher than a six, but lower than a nine. Cheesecake factory. <laughs> it's the safe bet. <laughs> All right, that seems like a that seems like uh, the perfect note to end yeah. on with cheesecake factory. That was great. Yeah, it was funny. Well, actually, we my mom had a gift card because she's a teacher, and she just uh, got like she always gets like gift cards from her students at the end of the oh, year. Yeah, man. She always gets like cheesecake factory gift cards. So we're like, let's like I got a gift card. Balls out, cheesecake factory. Yeah. If there's ever like come. a celebration, I think it was like like a late birthday celebration for someone but like not really it was just kind of like kind of a celebration <laughs> it's like my mom had a gift card it's like let's just go like why not right we'll, we'll have a pretty good you, time whatever. yeah cheesecake factory whatever yeah <laughs> sure <laughs> sure it's been a while <laughs> cheesecake factory why not <laughs> oh that was great well, thanks for that that was really yeah. that was really enlightening about the cheesecake factory yeah all right that on that note we're so, gonna, what have you got for me? On uh, going off of the Cheesecake Factories, basically the summation is a very safe bet. Let's go on a little bit change of gears from another uh, r- riches to rags to uh, pure desolation, oh, dissolution uh, story like Movie Pass, and that of course is Blockbuster Video. Ah, fun! <laughs> the classic 
They put it in that Captain Marvel movie. Remember that? <laughs> and that's how you knew it was in the 90s. Boy, oh boy. What a headstone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. All right. Um, obviously, you know Blockbuster. You think of Blockbuster. You, you think going there as a kid. You think yeah, going there. I, I have, like, vivid memories. We would just, like, my family would just go hang out in a Blockbuster. Sometimes we wouldn't get movies. We'd just go look at, like the covers of movies it's just kind of like a <laughs> stroke like, them yeah it's just like kind of like a like a fun place One for day. kids to like look at things but yeah like blockbuster was like a regular like tradition for my family we'd go there every week like uh, maybe I, twice a week i don't think i would hang out there like... <laughs> well, i think the thing was like we would take so long to decide on a movie we would mm. end up just hanging out there for an hour and then sometimes <laughs> forget about sometimes we just but we would have a fun time like looking at movies and like just like they would have like toys and like yeah. things and just like they have a ton it's like barnes and noble where they just kept like adding things right, like they have right. like like toys and snacks and music well, what and i've recognized is that when they when restaurants i mean when retail places start adding shit like that it's because they're dying oh yeah for sure <laughs> my, yeah my most vivid memory of being in a blockbuster was um waiting in line to purchase a movie with my family and there was a trailer for the grudge on <laughs> and i couldn't and i was fucking terrified and i couldn't sleep that right like i i woke up in tears i'm sure i had a similar experience yeah that was just like Like that's the blockbuster to me but it was so exciting and it just like was so cool to just like look at the movies that you could watch not always the one like not always the ones we don't end up getting but it was just for me it was fun right so yeah very like we would have a blockbuster in all the houses i lived in when i was young always a blockbuster was right around the corner right right and that were everywhere that of course is because they at their peak they had over nine thousand stores. Holy worldwide. shit! Yeah, nine thousand stores. What? So all right, so here we go. Blockbuster That's LLC. Insane. Oh my god. Uh, is an American-based provider of home movie. What? I guess. Wait, no. It is an American-based provider of home movie and video game rental services through uh, video rentals. Uh, Blockbuster expanded internationally throughout the 1990s, and at its peak, it employed over 84,000 people worldwide, including over 58,000 people in the U.S. Okay, okay, just just to draw some comparisons here. Yeah. So, Cheesecake Factory only had 250 locations, but they employed 40,000 people. Right. Like, they had... A, like a tiny fraction of a percentage of that many of the amount of stores, yeah. but half the amount of employed yeah. people. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Blockbuster was like, it's easy. So like 84,000 people allocated over 9,000 stores. That's about 10 employees per store. It's like pretty simple to operate. You can set these things up like really quickly. So they were just expanding like crazy. Right. Um, of course we know the fate of Blockbuster, but let's get into the full story. Okay. Uh, Blockbuster began under the name of Cook Data Services, which was founded by David Cook in 1978. Where have I heard that before? Uh, what, that name? Yeah, David Cook. He was the runner-up of season seven of American Idol, I believe. Re- really? Yeah. What? <laughs> well, I mean, a different guy. That's not oh. the name you're thinking of. Yeah. Oh, I, found, I found a Blockbuster. I'm also an incredible singer. <laughs> okay, I, I was thinking of Tim Cook. The okay, guy who's yeah, the Apple, the Apple CEO. Um, so at first, Cook Data Services, their, uh, their business model was to supply software services to the oil and gas industries throughout Texas, but it was not a very successful business, so David Cook started looking for alternative business models, a way to change it up. 
um, his wife actually, Sandy, suggested getting into the video rental uh, business because she was very interested and she saw all these like local video stores popping up. Right. Um, basically, uh, uh, he, uh, David Cook bought into a video store franchise in Dallas known as VideoWorks. Basically, David Cook wanted to, like, he had this grand vision for, like, what Blockbuster would end up becoming. Um, and it was basically, he had the vision in his head of the, like, blue and yellow colors, the, like, bright colors, the, like, family-friendly design. Right. And he wanted to, like, turn his franchise of video works into that, but they wouldn't let him. So he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go in and I'm going to make my own video rental chain. So the first Blockbuster store with the Blockbuster name we know opened in October on October 19th, 1985 in Dallas, Texas. They had an inventory of 8,000 VHS and 2,000 beta t- tapes. And beta um, Max. Yeah. My Cook, God. Cook had a ton of experience managing huge databases uh, with his uh, software or uh, data company. So he proved incredibly uh, skillful in managing the Blockbuster business. Oh, and that makes it, sense. Yeah. Because the, like, the danger there is inventory. Yeah. Right? You got you to gotta know, like, make sure that you don't buy too much so that you can actually sell it at the stores. Right. But if, especially in the 1980s, if you have a background in, like, database administration, mm-hmm. that, that's like a, that's, that would be an enormous secret weapon in your corner. Totally, yeah. So basically, with that knowledge, he opened a $6 million warehouse um, to store all the inventory. And he basically used data to figure out which stores uh, needed which items. So he would like figure out the demographics of right. each location. Like there's a bunch of old people in this area, so I'm going to have like some some classics and like there's a bunch of young families here, so I'm going to have a bunch of kids movies. So he was very good about just like making sure each individual store would be successful. Right, right. And like back in the 80s when that was like you couldn't do stuff on that on that scale mm-hmm. near like that was just showing up. So that would have been really powerful. Totally. Yeah. So it was the first uh First really big uh, video rental chain. Uh, in 1987, there were 19 Blockbuster stores, um, and they started franchising. Its executive ex- executives used Ray Kroc's model of expansion to mm-hmm. rapidly expand Blockbuster throughout the country. Um, soon, Blockbuster was opening a new store every 24 hours. Oh, my God. Which is crazy. It's like every day they're opening up a new one. It's the- like you... You hear that number and Ray Kroc would start salivating. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. That's exactly like what he wanted to do. Um, Blockbuster uh, was like growing uh, rapidly. They just started buying out all their competitors. Right, um, right. And when they would buy out their competitors, they would gain their retail spaces. So they would just right. absorb all these video stores. And their inventory. And their inventory. And, but, and if they're using the Ray Kroc model, they get the real estate too. Exactly. Yeah, so very smart. Uh, by 1991, Blockbuster was a multi-billion-dollar company. Um, however, co-owner Wayne Huizenga was worried about uh, how new technology could threaten their business, such as video on demand and the growth of cable television. Okay, hang on a second. Uh, did they listen to him? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, this guy Wayne Huizenga, um, he was so worried about the future of the industry. He decided to to sell Blockbuster to Viacom, and this happened in 1994. Mm. Um, so he just like cashed out and sold the business because he was like, "There's Wayne is a smart man. Wayne is very smart. He saw the future that would happen in 20 years. 
Um, but under Viacom, of course, uh, Blockbuster continued to grow rapidly, and by 1997, it was worth over $4.6 billion. Um, in 1998, when DVDs were emerging as the new video medium, Warner Brothers uh, offered CEO of Blockbuster, John Antioco, an exclusive rental deal. So basically, um, Blockbuster would start getting the like new releases of movies the day they would come out, instead of uh, having to wait you know, uh, right, a certain right. amount of time like most video stores. So that gave them an, like huge edge. Yeah, exactly. And they even made a deal with Warner Brothers to give them rights to sell these movies before they were sold. And I don't know if you remember this. I would remember movies would come out at Blockbuster before they would like be sold at like Walmart or whatever. Wow. Which is like, I had forgotten about that. Like that feels really weird now. Cause I feel like when a movie comes out, a movie comes out. But it's like, no, like, back when Blockbuster was a thing, it would hit the theater, hit Blockbuster, and then hit, like, home video, like, right, like Target right. and Walmart. I mean, that's, like, that's the reality of, like, the pre-internet distribution age. Yeah. Right? Totally. You just, you... Because, like, when a movie comes out now, it just comes out. But it's, right. And it's instant, and it's everywhere. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But before that, like, massive digital age it was like a blockbuster was like had a monopoly on getting the movies first right because you had to rely on a physical distributor you had to actually go to a store like a peasant yeah exactly um and like because uh, blockbuster was so dominant that giant retailers like walmart basically they started selling dvds like below wholesale price like just to like get people to buy dvds right, right. just to like get people in the door um, just as a loss leader to yeah. get people like, please understand that we also sell this item. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully you'll buy some like lawnmowers or whatever. Right, while you're here. <laughs> exactly. Um, in late 1998, Blockbuster launched a loyalty program called Blockbuster Rewards that allowed customers to earn free rentals, including one older title each mo- month from the category of Blockbuster Favorites. So they had these like loyalty programs, like membership programs almost, like getting people involved, like getting people to come back over and over again. Right, right. Which is my experience with Blockbuster, just coming back over and over again. Right, right. Because when you when you go to return the movie, it's like, oh, but you've got to get a new movie to replace it. Exactly, yeah. It's like, what's going to be our new movie? Uh, in mid-2000, Blockbuster partnered with Enron... Uh, in an attempt to create a video-on-demand service. The agreement was supposed to last for 20 years. However, Enron terminated the deal in March 2001 over fears that Blockbuster would not be able to provide sufficient films for the service. So they were this close to going into streaming. This close to, like, beating Netflix to the punch. But, like, like, why would Enron pull out of that? It's like, who is who is competing with Blockbuster yeah. for, like, having movies at this point. It seems like they're the only person right. who has movies. Yeah, I have no idea, but for whatever reason, it changed the course of history, right. and it wasn't meant to be. Also, in the year 2000, Blockbuster turned down a chance to purchase Netflix for $50 million. <sighs> That's crazy. Oof. They were like, history would be so different. Right. Blockbuster would still be around. There's so, like... Especially in, like, that era. There are so oh, yeah. many stories like that of, like, you know, being offered to buy something for $50 million, and then three years later, it just eats you, like, it yeah. just... Exactly. <sighs> right. Yeah. Um, because they can't see the future, but they're, like, you know, like, the stubborn executives were like, no way, like, there's uh, there's no way that, that we're, uh, we're going into that business. Right, because like, you basically have a monopoly on the market. Yeah. It's like, you... you 
at that point, you start seeing every, like, possible competing service as, like, even if it does get off the ground, there's no way, there's no way it can unseat this enormous, entrenched, like, industry. Right. And it's like, yeah, of course, like, no one could beat Blockbuster at what they did, but it's like, all these companies started doing things different, like, there was, right. it wasn't even the same market, almost. Right, no one could beat them at what they did, but what they did suddenly became obsolete. Right. And that was a, that happened rapidly. Extreme. It was like overnight. Yeah. It was crazy. So on uh, October 14th, 2004, Blockbuster was spun off from Viacom. Um, and Blockbuster started Blockbuster Online. And that was basically an online DVD subscription service, basically trying to compete with Netflix, which was uh, growing as a d- online uh, like DVDs by mail business. Right. Were they doing? Was Netflix streaming at that point? Netflix hadn't started streaming yet. They were just DVDs by mail. Right. Um, at its peak in 2004, Blockbuster had more than 9,000 stores in the U.S. Uh, in December 2004, Blockbuster announced its intention to pursue a hostile takeover of Hollywood Video, its major U.S. competitor. Oh so that God, I remember that. All of my memories of Hollywood Video is that it's like Hollywood Video was like Blockbuster. But it was, like, more cramped and dark. Yeah, <laughs> it was just blockbuster, but worse. Um, however, they didn't end up buying Hollywood Video um, because of the FTC. Basically, didn't want Blockbuster to have a monopoly. Right. But Hollywood Video ended up going bankrupt anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> um, that's, that's, it sounds like, oh, I wanted to murder him, but he died. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, job done. The job right. was done anyway. Well, you see, I, you see, officer, I was gonna murder him, but... You know, just something happened, and he ended up dead. <laughs> I wonder what happened. <laughs> uh, also, in 2005, uh, I remember this very clearly, Blockbuster began a campaign promoting its no more late fees policy. Oh, I remember yeah. this big commercial where people are standing out of Blockbuster cheering, no more late fees, closed up on a woman crying, there's like fireworks going right. on, no more late fees. However, the campaign proved extremely controversial, um, basically... There, it was a complete lie. Basically, what it was, <laughs> they wouldn't charge users, they wouldn't charge customers late fees for the first eight days, but then they charged them for the entire purchase. So basically, they would charge you, they was like, oh yeah, there's no late fees, but then you would hold on to it and they'd charge you to replace the movie. But then you, you could bring it back, but then you would get hit with late fees. <laughs> so, so it was just a completely lie, and I had no idea about this. More than forty states filed suit against the company for false advertising. Yeah, that's, to- that's complete bullshit. Yeah, it was literally just lying. Because, <laughs> like, what I was gonna say there was like, oh, I I have vague memories of that commercial, but yeah. then my memory was like, no one really cared. It right. was like that wasn't the big problem with Blockbuster. Yeah, right. Like that wasn't. Like, that wasn't a huge deal. But then you tell me it's like, oh, no, it was a lie, and they got sued in 80% of the <laughs> right. country for it. I was like, wow, fuck you, yeah. Blockbuster. <laughs> right. So Blockbuster later, later settled the suit uh, by agreeing to give refunds to customers, as well as promising to better explain the policy, a.k.a. explain the policy. Right. <laughs> it's not even... Like, no more... It's like, you can't even spin that as yeah, there's no, no late fees. It's like, no, there's still late there's fees. There's still you late just, fees. You just, gave us a, you just gave us a more lenient deadline. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, basically, around this time, uh, Netflix was growing as a DVDs-by-mail business. Um, 
Because it didn't have the limitation of retail spaces, Netflix could offer a much lar- larger library of right. movies than Blockbuster. Right, much lower overhead. Yeah, so much more a much more efficient business. So Netflix started beating Blockbuster at its DVDs by mail uh, service. Um, so in response to this, uh, a billion-dollar campaign from Blockbuster called Blockbuster Total Access was introduced in 2007 as a strategy to beat Netflix at DVDs by mail. Basically what this was, I remember this very clearly. My brother and I would get so many DVDs through Blockbuster Total Access. I have very fond memories. Basically, you'd get a DVD in, in the mail, and if you would return it to a Blockbuster store, you'd get a free rental. Oh. So it's like a fr- like buy one, get one free almost. Oh, that's fun. Um, while it was a major success, every free movie cost the company $2. So every time someone mm. used this, they would lose $2. Sound familiar. <laughs> like right. Movie pass kind of right. thing. Right. Basically like, oh, like it's a crazy stunt to get people to buy, but then it's like we're losing a ton of money and we have no game plan for how to like right. get, right. get it back. It's like, oh, this will this will get... God, there are so many there are so many companies that talk about it's like, well the problem here is that there's no customer loyalty. It's like, yeah. no, you just sell a shitty service yeah. that you hate. <laughs> right, and you're losing money. <laughs> right. Um, and you're terrible at running a business. Yeah. But despite this, uh, it was successful in terms of people using the service and Netflix felt threatened. Mm. Um Netflix CEO Reed Hastings approached Blockbuster CEO John Antikioko with a sword, <laughs> with a suggestion to buy out uh, Blockbuster's online business. Um, in return, uh, yeah. So, but the deal never went through, mm. and Blockbuster continued to try to compete with Netflix. Why? Why wouldn't? Why wouldn't they reach a deal there? It's like, man, we. It's like we could keep competing for market space, or we could be a monopoly. Right, like, exactly. We could remove each other's major competitors and then merge right. and make an enormous amount of money in the process. Yeah, didn't happen. Although I can see Netflix being like, uh, no, why would we want to buy... It's like, why would we want to buy you? Yeah. You know, it's like you have all this like retail space that we don't want. Right, totally. Um, so around this time in like 2007 era, that's when Netflix began uh, offering online streaming. Right. Um, oh, here we go. Um... Before the deal with Netflix could be realized, uh, board member Kyle Icon intervened, refusing to let the company lose more money through total access. So instead of having Netflix buy out the online service, uh, uh, John uh, Carl Icon basically uh, just uh, killed the total access program entirely because we're like, we're losing money. This is stupid. We got to stop. Right. So basically, they he put an end to the free movie deal he raised the pi- the price of online and raised the price of online dvd rentals and as a result uh blockbuster online kind of just like died just in, just like yeah it's like we're gonna take away all the things that make this deal like like appealing right because we're losing so much money so people are like okay we'll stop using the service then right. <laughs> um the, oh, the new CEO of Blockbuster, James Keyes, introduced a new business strategy that included enhancements to existing stores along with a shift to streaming video with the acquisition of MovieLink in September 2008. Uh, part of the plan was to de-emphasize the unprofitable uh, total access DVD-by-mail service in favor of online streaming. However, uh, in December 2008, he, he said publicly neither Redbox nor Netflix are even on the radar screen in terms of competition. Uh, it's more Walmart and Apple. Uh, so again, 
Blockbuster is like, no, we're the best at like retail video rentals. Like we're not worried about like online streaming. Like that's just like a subsection of us. But like, what ended up happening is online streaming just replaced the entire market. Right. Well, it's like, you have the numbers. How can you be that wrong about yeah, something? Exactly. Like, you're in charge. You are the person who is in charge of knowing those numbers. Yeah. So, obviously, we know what happened. Netflix, like, everyone just started using Netflix because it's like, this is so much easier. We can just literally have four yeah. clicks on our computer and we're watching a movie. Right, no, Netflix chugged Blockbuster like a 40. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, it was it was like overnight. It was like one day Blockbuster was there and the next it was gone. Totally. Like, there wasn't, in the articles I read, there wasn't even a lot of, like, like reporting on that because it's like, we know what happened. Like, it's just like part so, like, part of the Blockbuster story. It's like, yeah streaming happened and it killed blockbuster and they couldn't catch up that makes me think that it like that makes me think that it happened so fast that blockbuster didn't have time to react it was yeah. just a wild haymaker that they weren't like they just weren't prepared for it yeah and like they they started doing online streaming but like i never knew about it i never knew apparently like i didn't even know until i started doing research that blockbuster started doing streaming when they realized they were dying but like no one knew about it. Right. It's like, how... Like, You're all watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, at the beginning of 2010, Blockbuster had over 6,500 stores, um, a number that fell to 3,400 in October of the same year. Wow. So their, their, their stores got cut in half in one year. That, even, even less. That was like... Because they went from, what, 8,000 to 6,000 to 3,000. Yeah. That that's crazy. That's insane. That's that's like that's like what seven months to lose half of your yeah. entire business, and not just your business, but your retail. Right. Um, in March 20, 2010, Blockbuster began charging additional daily rates uh. for rentals not returned by their due date in the United States, having already used this procedure in other countries. So basically, they're just like giving you more late fees now right. it's like we're they're already dying and they're like we're gonna charge more for late fees right because well, like they're so panicked because they're losing so much money it's like we have now reached the late stage of blockbuster yeah. where it's like they they know where they're going under we know they're going under right and so they're trying to squeeze as much money out of the market space they have so that when they go bankrupt that it's not as bad exactly yeah so they knew what we're what um they knew what was going to happen. Right. Um, their their public accounting firm basically said publicly um, that they don't think that Blockbuster is going to be stable in the next couple of years. <laughs> I love that. That's their their public accounting firm yeah. saying that. That's like that's like if yeah, that's like if you had a kid back in like the fourteen hundreds. Yeah. And then like you know you've got this child and then your grandmother comes over like. He won't survive the winter. Yeah. <laughs> like in front of the kid, and the kid's like, "What?" Right. <laughs> it's like it hurts, mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna make it. Like, he won't survive the winter. <laughs> uh, on March 17th, 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like the kid knows that. It's like just don't lie to the kid. Just like be... just dying hurts, mother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> um, on March 17th, 2010, Blockbuster issued its bankrupt. Bankruptcy warning after continued drops in revenue threatened its ability to service, service its nearly $1 billion debt load. Oof. And um, uh, 
On April 1st, 2010, Carl Icahn resigned from uh, Blockbuster's board of directors and sold nearly all of his remaining Blockbuster stock. So everyone was just pulling out. Right. They were just, like, cashing out. Yeah. Um, on July 1st, 2010, the company was delisted from the New York Stock Exchange after its shareholders failed to pass a reverse stock split. Um, and it was then traded on the over-the-counter bulletin board stocks, basically just, like, the penny stocks. Right, penny stocks. Um, Blockbuster was unable to make a 42.4 million interest payment to bondholders, uh, and was given up until late 2010 to pay off the debt. But in September 2010, Blockbuster filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy due to challenging losses, 900 million dollars in debt, and of course strong competition from Netflix. Um, Netflix basically just took out, you know, streaming took over the market, and Redbox inhabited the basically retail space that the small like niche retail space that right, uh, right. basically Redbox is like it's convenient because it's like there at like Stater Brothers right like right. it's like a small little like niche version of Blockbuster right so they probably took over the the inventory but not necessarily like the retail real estate yeah it's like it found it's like little niche right, like there's right. no more re- video rental retail real estate in the world. Right. Well, and that's like the thing with Redbox is that it's like they've got the inventory already. Yeah, and they it's get like, like new movies. Right. They're probably just like Redbox. Redbox. Redbox probably made a ton of profit right after um, Blockbuster went under, just selling off their leftover inventory. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, Redbox is still going strong, and it's like little niche. Um, at the time of its Chapter Eleven filing. Blockbuster said it would keep its 3,300 stores open. However, in December, it announced it would close an additional uh, 182 stores by the end of April 2011 in, an, in attempts to emerge from bankruptcy. It was a, <laughs> like a phoenix yeah. <laughs> rising from the ashes. You'll see. You'll all see. Blockbuster will be back one day. It's like MoviePass. Big changes are coming. Big changes are coming. <laughs> it's reported in February 2011 that Blockbuster and its creditors had not come up with a Chapter 11 exit plan and that the company would be sold for $300 million or more along with, taking, along with its buyer taking over debts and leases. Blockbuster admitted that it might not be able to meet financial obligations required under Chapter 11 filing. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, they're selling the company for $300 million and they're still there's still $900 million in debt? Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's like... um, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Blockbuster admitted that it might not be able to meet financial obligations required (laughs) under Chapter 11, (laughs) which would lead to them filing Chapter 7, which is liquidation. Like, the company's gone now. (laughs) Right, sold off at auction. Uh, On March 1st, 2011, the U.S. Department of Justice filed a claim disclosing that Blockbuster did not have the funds to continue reorganizing and should liquidate. The government was telling them, guys, come on. (laughs) It's over. (laughs) Guys, guys, come on. Come on. Um, really? Surprisingly, eventually Dish Network bought uh, Blockbuster on April 6, 2011 for $320 million and the assumption of all its debts and, uh, and liabilities, a lot of which had been paid off, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently Dish was happy to take it on for whatever, like the inventory or the name or whatever. I don't know. It's, it's got to be the real estate. Right? Yeah, the real estate, it must be. They must just like sell off all those, all those store, like the... Uh, the storefronts right on april 19th 2011 it was announced that dish would keep only 500 blockbuster stores open um on may 6 2011 ceo james keys resigned being replaced with michael kelly under the new title of president um 
Why a new title? I don't know. It's just like, I'm not the CEO. We don't have a CEO. We're cool now. We're the president. Yeah. Um, on August 31st, 2011, all of the Canadian blockbuster stores uh, were announced to be closing by the end of the year. Uh, in September 2011, it was announced that Blockbuster and Dish Network would launch a new service called, get this, mm-hmm. Blockbuster Movie Pass. No! <laughs> no! That, that would compete with Netflix. And it's like, come on, Blockbuster. It's like, you can't, like, it's like watching, like, a kid who's, like, doesn't have legs. Like, I'm gonna run in the Olympics! No, it's like, it's not, it's <laughs> like, oh, God, that's, it's not even, because, like, the Paralympics exist. Yeah, You can right. still be an Olympic athlete right. if you don't have legs. That's true. And it's like, the kid was born without legs. Yeah. Blockbuster had <laughs> legs and he yeah. wasted them. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, Blockbuster like, was like dumb enough to get its legs chopped off right, when they just, could have easily avoided it. Right. Because it thought it was such a good runner they could yeah. do it without legs. It's like, no. I'm going to get my legs back and they're going to be better than my legs were before and i'm gonna run faster than you <laughs> and people are just like come on like don't like Dude, don't just like <laughs> you gotta figure this out um, <laughs> you can't keep doing this man so basically the plan was for ten dollars a month members would have access to both a streaming service and movies and games by mail <sighs> um the package however was only available to subscribers of dish network's pay tv service and it never happened like oh, it just never got it just, off the ground like, we're gonna do this we're gonna it's gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. um, on January thirteenth, twenty twelve, uh, Dish C- CEO Aaron Kask uh, announced that Dish had planned to keep ninety percent of the stores in operation, uh, meaning that most of the employees would remain employed. Um, but he basically said there are ones that aren't going to make it. We will close <laughs> unprofitable stores. We will like close additional stores. <laughs> Big changes are yeah. coming. <laughs> Uh, Cass did not say when these additional closings would happen and only remarked that some stores were unprofitable. Oh, yeah, uh, some of them? <laughs> some of them? How about all of them? All of them? Uh, the district chief would not say which stores the company was planning to close, but that each potential closing was to be ass- assessed on a case-by-case basis. But if not all of them are profitable, which ones are profitable? Yeah, please tell us. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, on October 4th, 2012, Dish... Uh, announced that it was scrapping plans to make Blockbuster into a Netflix competitor. It's like, yeah, we know. Yeah, we know. <laughs> um, between November 2013 and January 2014, all rem- remaining corporate uh, Blockbuster stores uh, were closed. Um, so only the only ones remaining were uh, between 2013 and 2014. Okay. Um, and the only remaining Blockbuster Blockbusters were 51 franchise locations by the end of 2014. Yeah, I've heard that there's still some open up in like the Pacific Northwest or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. Don't okay, worry. Okay. Um, so basically, uh, the company's continued decline was attributed to poor leadership, uh, not only uh, competition from Netflix. Ken Tischer, only owner of one of the few remaining. The last few Blockbuster stores said Blockbuster, if it isn't already, is going to go into the Harvard Business Review review for how not to run a business or how to run a business into the ground. Oof. Keith Hoogland, owner of Family Video, said a lot of poor decisions were that was a primary reason the company did not survive. Not competition from Netflix, not changes in the market. Uh, Dan Rayburn of StreamingMedia.com stated that everything about Blockbuster was set up to fail. 
Jonathan Baskin, a former Blockbuster marketing executive, said, Digital would have changed Blockbuster's business for sure, but it wasn't its killer. That credit belongs to Blockbuster itself. Wow. <laughs> so it's wow. like, when you think of Blockbuster's demise, of course, the thing that comes to mind is like, the business changed, of course, yeah. The business changed insanely radically over a very, very small period of time. But it's like, like a lot of businesses, Blockbuster could have adapted. Totally. They, they could have bought totally. Netflix. They could have gotten into streaming way before Netflix. But they're like, no. They had this like hubris of like, no, we're the best video rental retailers and we're going to, there's no way we can fail. It's like, yeah, you're not going to fail at video re- like retail. You're going to fail at video itself. Right. You're going to fail at movies because something else is going to replace the whole system. But like if, because back when Netflix was emerging, Blockbuster had the capital, just the sheer amount of money that they could have, what they could have done is simply started their own streaming service mm-hmm. or like mail order movie service. Right. At they could have started it at a loss and just driven Netflix out of business. Totally, and then eventually bought out Netflix they for could, a very low amount. Right. They could have completely they could have completely colonized that market space. Yeah. And there would there would have been very little preventing them from doing it. Right. But they didn't. Yeah, because they had nine thousand stores, and a new store was opening up every twenty four hours. It seemed like to them, they're just like, no, there's no way we can fail. Right. That's also like that level of expansion is just you yeah. can't sustain that. It's you just can't. Right. But it's not like McDonald's where it's like, imagine if like McDonald's, where it was like eventually people are gonna get all their food digitally. Like that right. would be the equivalent. It's like people start getting their food digitally, so ne- McDonald's is like. Let's open more stores. Yeah, like McDonald's would be out of a business, but like that's what happened with Blockbuster. People started getting all their movies online, so there's literally no need. So it's just like a new store every 24 hours, then like more than a, a store closes every 24 hours. Right, because Blockbuster's real strength wasn't the fact... It wasn't like all of these exclusive deals or whatever. Yeah. It was the fact that they, they were the distribution network. Right. Because that was who their main competitors were. It was for people who had competing distribution networks competing modes of distribution right and their entire business relied on the fact that they were the only method of distribution right. so the fact that they didn't that they didn't immediately snap up those other competitors right. is hubris it's right. utter hubris yeah and it's like people don't want their their movies on the computer they want to go to the store they want and, to go to a blockbuster video yeah. and pay for it and look around for a movie it's like no, they don't. They right. people like it might like it might be a, might have been an, Americans don't want to get movies over the internet like some sort of pussy. Yeah. <laughs> they want, Americans like to work for their movies. They like to get in a car and put right. on clothes. Well, it's like imagine if you could get a full meal by clicking on your computer screen. It just came out of the screen. Right, you could just print one from right. your printer. Then, like, f- like fast food would be dead in fast five food years. Would die. Yeah. yeah. But it's like that's not going to happen. But it like it happens with like streaming content. So additional store closures would continue until the end of March 2019, leaving a single Blockbuster store in Bend, Oregon, <sighs> the only one <laughs> remaining in the world. There's a blo- There is a Blockbuster. There is a Blockbuster over. video. <laughs> and <laughs> this is a great line to end this segment on. A documentary is currently in production about the one remaining. Uh, blockbuster by two filmmakers from bend oregon whose goal is to get the movie on the shelf at blockbuster while there still is one 
And that's the story oh of the rise God. and fall of Blockbuster. That was wonderful. That was absolutely wonderful. Because it's like we lived it. Like yeah, exactly. everyone remembers going to Blockbuster when they were a kid, and they remember, they remember the time, like the gr- gradual but quick decline, like decline of like wanting to go to Blockbuster. Right. It's like right. all all this stuff is on my computer. Why should I? You know, like why? Like it's not fun anymore, right? Like, because before the like the internet had like streaming movies. It's like this is what you have to do to go watch a movie, right? You have to go, but it's like it's not. It was a thing. It was, yeah, there was like it was it was like going out to eat. Yeah, like, let's go out and get a movie. Right, it was a thing to go and do. Exactly, but it's like people blockbuster wasn't successful because. People like going to the store and getting a movie. It's because they were, it was the only place to get a movie. Right, right. But it's like, Blockbuster's like, no, people love coming to Blockbuster. It's like an experience. It's like, no, people like watching movies, and they always will. Right, well, and it's like, nothing could compete with going to a store. Yeah, you know exactly. But it's like, it's something that's much easier and more efficient. Of course, the market's going to shift to that. It makes me wonder, like... Like... What doomed them? Like, what was the decision that killed them? Yeah. How, like... It seemed like a, a series of bad decisions. Because you, you had that guy... You had that guy who jumped ship in, like, 1994. Yeah. Right? Like, that guy saw what was coming. Right. Right? Exactly. But it's like, did did Blockbuster still have hope? Or was he just, like, jumping ship because, like, his business partner wouldn't, wouldn't listen? Like, did, was there hope? Yeah. But then, like... What was the decision where it right. went from like you can still do this to like nothing can stop what's hap- what's going right. to come now? Yeah, I mean honestly, I feel like it's just them not putting all of their attention on streaming like in like two thousand one. Right. Like it had to right. be very early, but they put almost no attention. It was like a side note, like four years after Netflix started doing it. Right. Right. And it was like literally them never like literally the only way for Blockbuster to continue is them to be like. We're not selling. We're closing all our stores, and we're going to be an online business from now right. on. And at that, and at that point, you had the whole no more late fees debacle. Yeah, which, like, getting sued by the state government. Yeah, like that's it. That is an enormous amount of legal costs. Right, and then having to refund everyone. It's like it depends on how they administrated that. Like, right. But that's still, like, that takes up money, and it's an enormous hit to your PR. Yeah, exactly. So it's like. And if your goal is to just get people in the store, like, that's probably the worst thing that could have happened. Exactly, yeah. And that's all they had was people going into the store. That's, But it's, like, that no more late fees is just, like, emblematic of, like, the, the, the flaw in Blockbuster's business model. It's, like, we have to literally, like, punish people for not bringing the physical thing we're giving to them right. back on time. Well, we have to actively lie to them yeah. to even get them in the store. <laughs> exactly. And it's like with streaming, it's there's full accountability because right. you own, like, not only do you own the product, you own the means of, like, the customer having that product. Right. Right. And it's, like, and it's immediate for the customer. Yeah. It's, like... <laughs> The movie's right there. It's right. it's in the box. Yeah. Well, it's like, and the, once your rental period is ended, it can immediately be taken away, and the customers right. never like if you if a blockbuster employee had to go to someone's house and like steal the movie right. back, right? That would be like horrible. But like, no one complains. Like, oh, my rental period ended. It's, right. Because you don't have to pay your late fees if you never enter the store again. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's you just, just have to go to a different blockbuster. Right. It's like 
it's sad because like I have such fond memories of going to Blockbuster, but right. I've never like it's never like I've never like missed it. Like it's right. never been like oh I wish I could have Blockbuster. It's like no like none of the like perks of going to Blockbuster were lost because I still get to watch movies, and that's what it was always. It's like about like the the fond memories were like choosing a movie to watch with my family and like right, watching a movie right. with my family. It, it, the the memories came from the movie and like the acquisition of the movie. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't the physical place where you got the right. movie. The bright colors and like that's like you know, that that was nice, but it's like that's not what we cared about. Right, right. It's like brand loyalty only means Brand loyalty only means something when the brand is not actively stealing from you, yeah. not actively lying to you so right. they can steal from you. Exactly. It's like, it's like, oh, I can go to a place where it's it takes longer and they lie to me to my face, <laughs> or I can go to a place where I can guarantee there's no lies, I know what I'm paying for, and it's much more efficient. It's like, no, and I, I want to go to Blockbuster. Like... Yeah. I want to go to Blockbuster because I like the memories and I like the process. Right. So, yeah, I've never, like, I was thinking about this. Like, I've never, like, missed going to Blockbuster. Right. Why would you? Yeah, I've never, like, I wish there was still a Blockbuster around. But it's like, no, it's like, I, I miss, it's like, those are just, like, anything. Like, I'm, like, I have fond memories of, like, my elementary school. But it's like, right. I don't want to, like, go back to my elementary school. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's, like,. Just the moment where it was like they started a, a, a service called Blockbuster Movie Pass, yeah. and it was like <laughs> I could hear the like dun dun. <laughs> you'll see, you'll all see. <laughs> it's like literally Movie Pass, except Movie Pass was like that, but within the span of one year. Right. Like it was like the blo- Blockbuster's twenty-year journey, but like. Within one year, I, I wonder how I wonder how well those two things map up because Movie Pass yeah. was like bam, 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 bam. It was, yeah, it was basically like because it's basically identical to the whole blockbuster thing, but yeah. just sort of like for the modern pace that business moves now because yeah. shit happens fast. Totally. Yeah, and like Movie Pass is like slightly different because the market didn't change necessarily. It's just like people like. It just was. I don't even know. Well, they were it, trying to create a new niche, honestly. Yeah. Like right, and they didn't have the power to create something that like revolutionary. Right. They didn't have the resources. Like AMC already has an established network of theaters right. where they can, and apparently Regal Theaters is going to roll out their own version of like uh, right. Movie makes, Pass. Makes total and sense. Those honestly. theaters have the distribution network. They don't have to be a third party people negotiating with themselves. Right. They're right. like, no, we own the theaters. We'll start doing this. Man, if only Movie Pass had like an enormous established real estate, like yeah. real estate presence right. in the distribution network. Man, how could you ever mess that up? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for those big changes coming to Movie Pass. Right. Though. Please show us Movie yeah. Pass if you're the li- <laughs> CEO of Movie like... Pass. If you're listening to the podcast, please, please tell us. Please, please. like p- pleasantly. And radically surprise us. Yes. Like, bring back Movie Pass in a way that we're forced to, like, subscribe. Right. Make us, yeah. <laughs> like, like, make it so that we 
we can't help but suck, yeah. but sign up to movie I'm fast. I'm so excited Please. for these big changes. If you can do that, like I, my hat's off to you. I'll take back everything I said. Right. We'll do a whole new episode and we will sing nothing but your praises. Yeah, exactly. We'll whip ourselves for even saying anything. <laughs> we will flagellate ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that note, I think that's the end. Uh, All right. Episode three. Uh, <laughs> that was a lot listening. of fun. Yes. Again, as I say every episode, there's endless stories like these to talk about, yes. and it's always a lot of fun. We will be back soon. Yes. Thank you for listening. Big changes are coming. Big changes are coming. (laughs) Just you wait. You'll see. Like a phoenix from the ashes. You'll all see.